1: It's the Chris and Amy Show. Check
2: it out. St. Louis, Mount City. We are going to have a great day today. Now, Amy Marks Chris Ranji on KMOX. Let's
1: take it from the
2: top. Can't believe it. It's already Thursday. This week is just flying by, baby. It is Chris and Amy today on KMOX. It is 11-16. That's November 16th, 2023. And we've got a... Good show for you. At least we think we do. 314-436-7900 to call or text. Voicemails at 314-944-1120. You can leave those whenever you want. Middle of the night, if you have a thought, you know, I'm going to get this off my chest. You go Mm -hmm. right ahead and do it. Because nobody will answer except for the computer and you can also uh, follow us on all of the social media platforms at chris amy kmox time now
0: for the top of the order the top three stories everybody will be talking about
2: we will talk about whether or not the meeting between president biden and uh, chinese president xi jinping was successful it happened in san francisco yesterday major garrett joins us after the ten thirty news
3: And the biggest TikTok influencer of the week is Osama bin Laden. Well, he's dead, but his letter to America is gaining traction with disillusioned TikTok quote-unquote historians.
2: And some protests at the DNC uh, building last night. They got heated to say the least. We will discuss that as well. We'll get Major's take on that and some other things are coming up here on the show today. Again, Chris and Amy on KMOX.
3: This morning I read Letter to America, which is Osama bin Laden's letter to America explaining why he attacked Americans. And I am ashamed to say that I not only have never read this letter But I didn't even know this letter existed. It's wild and everyone should read it. If you haven't read it yet, read it. However, be forewarned that this has left me very disillusioned. And I feel the same exact way I felt when I was deconstructing Christianity. I feel uh, a little bit just confused like I have entered into another timeline. What is this?
1: I just read a letter to America and
3: I will never look at life the same. I will never look at
1: this country the same. I will never, I please read it. And if you have read it, let me know if you are also going through an existential crisis in this very moment. I need everyone to stop what they're doing right now and go read, it's literally two pages, go read a letter to America
2: and please come back here and just let me know what you think because I feel like I'm going through like an existential crisis right now. A lot of people are, so I just need someone else to be feeling this too. Okay, those are just some voices um, after on TikTok, the social media app. After watching or reading "Letter to America," which was written by Osama bin Laden, a um, couple about twenty-one years ago, it was written. It has, by the way, been widely available. You could have seen it. It's it's, it's been posted, um, so it's not like it has been hidden from you. So you've you've had the opportunity to see it for all these years. There's no point in going over the content of the letter and I don't I don't doubt that American foreign policy over the years has probably sometimes created an environment that made us a little less safe. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that we have made mistakes, but there is absolutely never in in history, there will never be a justification for terrorism. There's never a justification, a good justification for what Osama bin Laden did. And what we're hearing are people who were either not alive when it happened or were alive but too young to really understand what was going on. So I, I hate to... Make a blanket statement about young people because this isn't true. There are a lot of very, very intelligent young people who do understand and have read about what happened on 9-11 and leading up to it in the aftermath of it. There are a lot of those very intelligent young people, but these people are idiots. Yeah. These are very stupid, stupid people, either willfully or not. There is no justification For what Osama bin Laden did?
3: Well, no, there's not, and I think you hit the nail on the head with it being young people who view 9/11 in the same way that we, you know, read about the JFK assassination. It was was a long time ago; it was before our time, or we were kids. Yes, and there's a lot of angles to uh, from which we should approach this. I'll just bullet point a couple of them. One being. This is not a coincidence that this letter is surfacing now while it has already been available. The Guardian put it out there years ago, uh, the letter to America from Osama bin Laden. Why is it gaining traction now? Well, if there's one theme in this letter is Osama bin Laden hated Jews. He hated the Jewish people and over and over again, He talks about how the Jews, quote, control your policies, your media and economy and how awful they are. He also goes on and on about uh, homosexuality, how awful that is, and that the U.S. is spreading AIDS on purpose. So you can get the gist of the letter, but a heavy influence, a heavy emphasis on how much he hates Jewish people and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Well, he he
2: just didn't like the United States.
3: Well, and he blames the Jews over and over and over again in it and how America is complicit with the Jewish people. So, again, I think this is not a coincidence as we see this rise in anti-Semitism that this letter would suddenly resurface in popularity. But these younger people who are saying, man, this is just shaking my worldview, it's because they have no historical context whatsoever when looking at america it's very popular to be self-loathing the united states and the west as if the america is the if america the united states specifically is the worst most racist country that's ever existed and i am the very first to acknowledge our original sin of slavery that the united states had
2: and we have plenty of it now it's not gone away racism yeah yeah right
3: yes however you have to compare america to other existent countries and not some utopia, because if you compare America to a non-existent utopia, yes, it is uh, flawed beyond redemption. But if you compare it to every other country that's existed in world's history, America has provided more freedom for more people across the globe than any other country in the hist of the history
2: of the world. It's not the only free country in the world, but it has It, it has done. There's
3: a reason why people are trying to get here. And have have always yeah, tried to get Yeah, there's plenty of opportunity here. here. But there yes. are a lot of
2: great free countries around the world. We're not the only but one. But do you
3: understand how you, you can acknowledge America's flaws and sins, but you see it in context with the rest of world history, which, by the way, world history is brutal. World history is the most offensive book ever written. When you look at the hatred and the racism and the slavery that has existed for millennia, it's awful. These young people on TikTok have reduced everything to a hero and a villain and their very myopic, minimal experiences and think, wow, this has shaken my worldview, then you have a very flimsy worldview indeed.
2: Yeah, I don't... Here's where I think the greater conversation goes. It's what, what has been happening since this letter to America, a TikTok thing has gone viral. The conversation has been, well, TikTok is bad. Should we do something about it? Is it a threat to national security? And... There are a lot of people who believe it's a threat to national security, but did so before something like this. I'm not going to make the leap that these dummies on TikTok who are just now discovering history um, are are going to put us at risk. I don't think that's the case. I think the app itself is a data risk, but Mm -hmm. that is something completely different. I also think that while it is entertaining, and that's probably for most people the the greatest percentage of people who use it the point is to just be entertained there is a dangerous element of idiots trying to revisit history who don't as you say have historical context who weren't alive who don't mm-hmm. who haven't read about this and have probably not been taught very much about what was going on 22 years ago so there's there's a lot of that i don't I, I'm not going to make the leap and say it is a greater danger to the country. I think what we're talking about is a group, and hopefully it's an insignificant group of idiots who are getting their history from TikTok. Does that mean that we have a problem down the road where these young people who are... By the way, these look like adults. They don't look like children. No, they're
3: not children. I mean, it could be 20 to 35.
2: Yes, so they should have a better idea of history. They should have learned history. And you can't learn history in one-minute or two-minute segments.
3: And I think there's two responses to this that I've seen. One is people pointing fingers at TikTok saying, you know, it's overly reductionist, which it is. But people look at it as if this is all the news you need with all the content you need. It's criminally reductionist. And that also it's a company run by a geopolitical adversary. That's a problem.
2: I think the the data, yeah, the access to the data is a a bigger issue than than these people uh, talking about bin Laden. We
3: poo-poo Elon Musk because of his lack of moderation on Twitter. Twitter is nothing compared to the power of TikTok. And TikTok is being moderated by who? Xi Jinping? So that's one issue. But others are pointing their finger at faulty education in the U.S. And I do think some of it, a lot of it has to do, especially in academic, very high academic circles, uh, institutes of higher learning, that it's very in vogue to see the U.S. as bad, to see a, a victimhood or suffering and injustice is almost the highest, most noble social status you can have. So, any pushback that you do, like if you commit violence, but you happen to be in a, a group that had faced oppression, or you're uh, some, you know, a smaller group, like a minority group that's faced an injustice, that somehow. Nothing you do is off limits because you've been pushed about for all of history. So so whether you're Hamas committing terrorist acts or Osama bin Laden blowing up buildings, if you've suffered an injustice, you have the moral right to take whatever action possible. And that is bizarre to me.
2: Yeah. uh, Well, I'm not going to speak for a terrorist organization overseas. I'm I am more interested right now in what Americans think about this country and I don't think it's inherently wrong to look in the mirror. To I mean, we, we spend a lot of time and in your entire life you grow up saying America's the best, it's the best, it's great. And this is a great country, but it's got a tremendous amount of flaws. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging our problems. I agree with you and on acknowledging that. what we do wrong, and that every foreign policy decision we've ever made or every domestic decision we've ever made is not the correct one. And it's Absolutely. Not even, so. So. But I think there are a lot of people who, well, if you don't like everything, then get out. It's I, I appreciate that there are people who are willing to do some real self-reflection. But these folks are misguided. These folks are wrong. These mm-hmm. people, while they are entitled to those opinions and they should be allowed to express those mm-hmm. opinions, by the way, because that's that's part of what's great about the country is that you can express really stupid opinions And you're not going to go to jail for it, but they all need to do a better job of actually learning history and go beyond letter to America, which clearly is biased on the part of one individual who killed 3000 people at least.
3: Yeah, and I think, like you said, there are people on one side who go too far who won't criticize the country at all. You need to criticize the Absolutely. country. no country is perfect. But there and it are... doesn't
2: make you un-American no, to criticize your own country. But
3: then to go the other way to say that all people in power are bad and the government is irredeemable and we have to tear it all down and the U.S. is the most racist country that's ever existed, all of that is false. And I don't understand why the self-loathing is so in vogue right now. I hope it passes through, but that's what this letter to America adulation feels like it's it's a self-flagellation we're like wow everything's been shaking we really are horrible well that, I mean that's, lacks that's context
2: re- that's ridiculous what, what I think not what you're saying what they are saying is ridiculous but I I don't know if it's self-loathing as much as it is Amy you know how you feel about your Republican party you know how you feel about it you feel like ugh you know I I you can't you have to criticize them because you're so disappointed in them. I think it's a similar concept.
3: Ooh, I, I wouldn't. I, it is. I don't criticize the GOP and say that it's fundamentally flawed from the beginning. Tear it all down in the way that these people are looking at terrorist acts, whether it be the the protests saying Hamas was justified or the bin Laden no, no, letter no, no. to what America. I, no,
2: no. What I'm saying is it's the party you consider to be yours. So you are critical of it because it's yours. And I think that's why in large part, a lot of these people are doing that because they 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 can't do anything about a country overseas, but they feel like they can do something about the one they live in. We are late for a break. We need to take it. 314-436-7900 or 944-1120 on KMO.
0: Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in. Baseball has been boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.
2: Chris and Amy on KMOX. Doesn't seem like we ever have any, uh, not lately anyway, any downtime. And by downtime, I mean stuff that's not uh, uh, dramatic and awful and terrible. Well, here's one
3: after the Blues won the Stanley Cup, and I had the great opportunity to sign with KMOX. And it was kind of a heavy summer of 2019 because we we're getting to the Kavanaugh hearings and, you know, uh, the, the, all of the allegations and what we were dealing with. And I said, this is a particularly, you know, depressing, heavy news cycle. This was the summer of 2019. Surely it will get better.
2: No. No. It actually got a lot worse. <laughs> it got a
3: lot worse. So, no, we'll never, n- we'll never have downtime.
2: Just a, I just want a little bit. Mm, too much. Just give me a week.
3: Listen, you're spoiled. How
2: About There's, a week and a half. I don't think so. You know, give me a month. Give me a month of of us coming in here. Like, what are we going to talk about? Well, today? what's
3: crazy too is 2019 led into 2020. So of course that got worse worse for a lot of reasons. The pandemic uh, and and riots and all of these things happening, and uh, and then it kept getting worse. And I did, and the election. I even forgot about the election was 2020. And then January 6th of 2021.
2: there has been a (laughs)
3: give us the kavanaugh hearings those were easy
2: (laughs) speaking of news a little bit has happened Uh. in the last 20 or so minutes uh george santos after an investigation by the ethics committee they found that there uh, may have been federal crimes committed um he has said that Mm -hmm. he will not seek reelection. so george santos the representative out of new york uh mr sweater vest has been in all sorts of trouble uh, pretty much from the moment he got elected <laughs> we've been talking about him so as think soon as he got elected and it looks like uh, it's it's almost over for him
3: when he says that he will not seek re-election do you think that means George Santos as George Santos won't seek re-election but but there oh, might be that a, Garth a name Brooks change alias? What was the uh, Chris Gar- Gaines? Yeah. That's like is that the right? grungy Garth
2: Brooks. Christopher Gaines?
3: Yeah. What if George Santos pulls a Garth Brooks, Chris Gaines moment I think that's and right. runs for reelection?
2: Yeah. Chris Gaines. Yeah. That's the Garth Brooks alter ego. Yes. Where he uh, had the emo hair. Yeah, he was like emo. That.
3: What if there's an emo George Santos who, you know what I mean? He pulls that alias where he's a new person now.
2: What if he comes in without glasses and uh, dyes his hair blonde? Do you think anybody will notice that it's a different person?
3: He has kind of a distinct face, doesn't he? Yeah.
2: He's got a distinct way of talking. I think he'd be found out. I think he'd be found out. That guy. Well, we'll find out what Major Garrett thinks about everything that's been happening. Uh, Chris and Amy on KMOX. Major is next. Chris and Amy on KMOX. It is after 1030 on a Thursday, which means it's time to talk to Chief Washington Correspondent for CBS News. Major Garrett, who is the author of The Big Truth, Upholding Democracy in the Age of the Big Lie, also the host of the Takeout podcast, and The Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen." Uh, two really great podcasts, and Major Garrett with us on the Quiver River Electric guest line. Good morning, Major. Major, are you with us? I am. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, we hear you perfectly fine. So let's start with the most recent news, George Santos and the Ethics Committee, um, their findings.
1: So what happens next? Well, George Santos just put out a statement saying that the Ethics Committee is completely wrong, unfair, biased, but he will not seek re-election in 2024. That will probably not quiet his congressional critics, and there are many in both parties. And there may be an effort now to uh, revisit the question of expulsion. The Ethics Committee report uh, on a bipartisan basis says many of the same things that the Justice Department has alleged in criminal indictments against George Santos, that he knowingly filed false campaign finance reports, that he manipulated Uh, potential donors and did other things uh, askew of federal election law and congressional campaigning regulations so that's where things stand the ethics committee essentially on a bipartisan basis is saying most if not all of the charges brought by the justice department against santos are legitimate based on its own independent investigation and handed their findings over to the justice department in case it was curious Basically saying, Santos, from the Ethics Committee's point of view, you are guilty as charged, and you have brought disrepute onto the House of Representatives, and the House recognizes you as someone who does not live up to the even lowest standards of ethics in the chamber. Say he won't run for re-election, whether or not he can fill out his entire term, according to the uh, House of Representatives itself, we don't know.
3: All right. Moving on to there was a protest outside the Democratic National Committee headquarters last night. um, Over 200 people uh, protesting for a ceasefire, but things got violent. They got out of hand. The people started pushing uh, dumpsters in front of the exits, blocking the DNC, which had to be evacuated. Uh, What do you know about that situation?
1: So I was flying back from Atlanta last night, so I wasn't here, I wasn't an eyewitness. I've been sifting through the various reports. And as is often the case in matters like this, there are different interpretations. Those who were protesting say Capitol Police were too aggressive in pushing them back and exhibited signs of intolerance and possible brutality. Many members of Congress who were inside the Democratic National Committee headquarters, and people should know, you think about Capitol Hill on the House side of the Capitol, come down the hill ever so slightly, and slightly to the south, that's where the DNC headquarters is located. So it's in the general neighborhood of the U.S. Capitol, not right next to it, but pretty close. So Capitol Police jurisdictionally would be there and on on alert, and they were the ones who intervened. The underlying tension is the political matter that Democrats most have to and continuously focus on. What is the political matter? There are those in the progressive wing of the Democratic Party who are not siding necessarily with Hamas, though maybe some are, but they are definitely siding with Palestinians, and they believe the Israeli response to the October 7th terrorist attack within Israel is disproportionate. It is a war crime or borderline war crime, and they want Democrats— From President Biden on down to say as much. And that protest was about expressing that opinion. And the clash went on. There were a couple of arrests. About six Capitol Police officers, as the reports indicate, were injured to some degree or another. But this is an example and an illustration of the tensions within Democratic Party constituencies about what's playing out between Israel and Gaza.
2: What have they done differently, if anything, about Security. You would imagine it's pretty secure most of the time, uh, anyway. Are they? Yes. they're taking the added precautions here.
1: I'm sure they will. I'm sure okay. they will. And look, several members of Congress were inside the Democratic National Committee headquarters. Why? Well, because that is typically a place where members of Congress or senators will go to make fundraising calls. You can't, under federal law, and this is a good thing, not a bad thing, make fundraising calls from your office. <laughs> you have to keep these things separate. So oftentimes members will go over to the DNC and work the phone banks to raise money. And so several were there. I don't know if they were there for that. They could also be over there for general meetings and uh, confabs with pollsters and strategists. Lots of things happened there. But several had to be escorted out and are escorted out in sort of a protected way to maintain their security. So it was a tense situation, very tense. And this is essentially something coming to the DNC doorstep that's been on college campuses across the country.
3: Um, Meanwhile, something we we didn't talk about uh, in great detail was the pro-Israel march Mm -hmm. on Tuesday. Over 300,000 people—I know Mm -hmm. 290,000 people went through the metal detectors. There were perhaps thousands outside of that. Uh, Relatively, uh, all I know of is is that was peaceful. There was nothing going on there.
1: Right, exactly. Uh, And those who are staunch supporters of Israel would say— there's an important distinction and difference there to be noted, that there are larger numbers of people who support Israel, will do so publicly, will do so peacefully, will do so as a part of their, their religious heritage or their affinity for the state of Israel or their general sense that Israel is an ally and a democratic nation-state in the middle of a very tough neighborhood. And let's compare and contrast the numbers and the activity. Things were not violent. They did not get out of hand in any way, shape, or form in the pro-Israel march. The smaller demonstration, that was pro-Palestinian, and in some cases might have been. I wasn't there. I don't know what people said, so I don't want to say. But it might have been slightly pro-Hamas or maybe stridently pro-Hamas. I don't know, but that's a difference. And this is the fault line that's existing in the country writ large. And I hope people will listen, if they didn't already, to last week's episode of The Takeout, because I had Jack Reed, who's the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, and we had a conversation about this. And he said, look, you can question the conduct of Israel in this war and not be anti-Semitic. You can question the settlement policy for many years of the Israeli government, particularly under Benjamin Netanyahu in the West Bank and other places, and do so without being anti-Semitic. You can support Palestinian civilians dying as a result of the Israeli incursion into Gaza without being pro-Hamas yet in our aggressively amplified social media culture all of these lines which can be clear get blurred and people get painted with one thing or another that puts them in the most strident and repulsive position even if they're not taking that which leads to confusion which leads to rage which leads to anger which leads to conflict that is part and parcel in miniature about this debate which is a broader problem in our American political dialogue right now. We assume the worst about people we disagree with. And when you assume the worst, lots of antisocial, borderline violent things can happen.
2: That is extremely well said. The uh, meeting between the president and uh, Xi Jinping yesterday Mm -hmm. in San Francisco, a lot of the reports were that there was some progress made. Uh, China was not happy with him using the word dictator. So, um, all right, what what, was it good or not?
1: Well, well, how dare you? How dare you speak the truth? What is is wrong with you, Mr. American President? Don't you know you're supposed to Adhere to all the diplomatic niceties, and one of the diplomatic niceties is not to say what is obviously true. (laughs) Well, you know,
3: that's what diplomacy is. Yeah, right. (laughs) That's the definition of diplomacy. Don't say what is obviously true. Right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yikes.
2: So, so what's the bottom line here? here?
1: There are several bottom lines, and look, um, China has made itself a massively relevant and potentially threatening presence throughout Asia and in the global economy. It has used its economic success of the last 20 years to massively increase the size and potency of its military. It is throwing its weight around in the South Pacific in ways that are alarming to the Philippines, Australia, Vietnam, and other countries, many of which are now drifting in our direction or running in our direction for protection. Our longstanding allies, South Korea, Japan, recognize this. And we're all sort of teaming up to make sure that those who are not China will not be bullied or intimidated by China. Intellectual property theft runs rampant. Fentanyl, the processing thereof, sending it to Mexico, then across our border is a huge concern, all of which was raised. Pressing those issues and getting the Chinese to respond instantly is virtually impossible. The Chinese do not respond instantly. They respond over time. And the levers of power used by American governments, Trump, Biden, Bush, Obama are gradual in their intensity. But it is clear in this country on a bipartisan basis that China is a nemesis and it is an imperative if you want to be the national leader of this country, either in office now if you're President Biden or any future occupant of the presidency, is an aggressive posture against China is now a given. This is different for China and it's having to reconcile itself to that unhappy reality.
3: Major, I know you are a student of history, so if you have seen that Osama bin Laden's letter to America is gaining a lot of traction on TikTok with younger generations, not necessarily kids, but even in their mid-20s and 30s, and how it is shaking their worldview, and it is strikingly, well, I would say they're justifying or seeing the justification for September 11th. Can you tell me what, what you think of that phenomenon we're seeing on TikTok? Why and how big of a concern it is to you?
1: So I want to be careful here uh, because, A, I'm not on TikTok, B, that means I'm very slow to get to these things that are are cycling through TikTok, and C, I will say this in broad strokes about the question you asked, acknowledging again the first two things. I'm not on, and I'm slow to the uptake when something is moving at a heavy pace on TikTok. For 20 and 30 year olds in our country, there is a question that is not sufficiently answered for them, and it's either a result of the way they were raised by their parents, the cues they got from their parents, the cues they got from public schools, the cues they got from the culture in which they were raised. They are less certain than I think any generation previously in America about the benefits and the strengths of our system. Not only are they less certain, They are becoming hardened skeptics about democracy, what it means, capitalism, what its benefits are, and the sense that the system in this country can, if you work hard and are diligent and play by the rules, can lead to your own success. They are not just skeptical. They are becoming hardened cynics about that. And this is something I think we need to be honest with ourselves about. And I've talked to people in Union leadership, I've talked to people who work in evangelical and religious communities, and they sense this question that they get from younger either members or employees or participants. Like, what is this thing, America? Why why do you think it's so great? I think it looks awful. And their core assumption is there's something really fundamentally wrong here, and they're receptive to things that sort of question everything that you And I, and I think most people listening to our voices, not only assume, but fundamentally believe in. I fundamentally believe in the past, present, and future of the American experiment. But there is a generation that is deeply doubtful about that. And we need to understand their doubts, and we need to reach out to them and explain to them the core benefits and the resiliency and the perpetuating nature of the American experiment to get them to understand why this system is not only different, but to my way of thinking, and I believe your way of thinking, and most people who can hear my voice way of thinking, better. We need to take the time to understand their skepticism is hardening. And we've got to reach out to them and explain, in our own words, why, though not perfect and sometimes dissatisfying, is so much better than any other conceived or conceivable alternative
2: major Garrett, who is on the takeout this week
1: so for many many years from 2012 to 2021 the Washington Post was edited by a gentleman named Marty Baron Marty Baron before that was the editor of the Boston Globe before that he was the editor of the Miami Herald as an editor of all three of those newspapers covered massive stories and won many Pulitzer Prizes he has among the most formidable careers in modern American journalism, Marty Barron is our guest on The Takeout this week.
2: Got a text message from a listener that says, just wanted to let Major know his podcast, Agent of Betrayal, cuts into our show because I can't, well, he's talking about our, our show here, uh, because I can't wait to listen to the next episode. That's not how you're supposed to do oh, it. I mean,
3: you can't get rid of us to listen. I mean, no, we you can you can do listen, both. You can do both. You can love both of us equally yes wow major yes.
1: yes well thank you thank you uh to the texture. thank you to anyone who hasn't jumped in yet if you've been waiting for it to be in bingeable quality today we dropped the final of eight episodes at least so far we may have a ninth episode but right now it's eight episodes you can listen to the whole thing and i say with that happy thanksgiving thank Aww, you major. happy
3: thanksgiving major
1: thank
2: you major Good. all right see you guys uh, talk to you in a couple of weeks. That is Major Garrett's Chief Washington Correspondent mm-hmm. for CBS News. No, you're doing it wrong, man.
3: Yeah, you, like, We're podcasting too. There's hours
2: in a day. Bro, there's so much time to so listen to our time. show, the entire show, on the podcast, on the Odyssey app, and also on the Odyssey app, Major Garrett's podcasts, mm-hmm. plural, The Takeout and Agent of Betrayal. Both are great. Amy, did you see it's damn near official? The Oakland A's are going to be moving to Las Vegas. The owners, baseball owners, unanimously approved the move. It is not. It's basically final. This is basically it. They are not yet sure, according to reporting, where they're going to play next year, the year after that, or the year after that, because it's still, let's see, through, um, 2027 this move isn't going to happen for a while so they have to figure out where they're actually going to play they still could be playing in oakland for about the next three or four years and then they're going to vegas
3: well i did see that the montreal expo's twitter account whether it's real or not i don't know but it did tweet out we are heart the Our heart Oakland, We Heart Oakland. There is a. uh, Their love for Oakland. And so the poor Montreal Expos, they get it.
2: It's, well, there's no Expos in this. I don't know if this is, it's in a verified account, but what does that mean anymore? It means nothing. So, I don't know.
3: But it's, at any rate, it's kind of funny. Someone made a Montreal Expos Twitter account and then put We Heart Oakland. Just
2: (laughs) really disappointing, man. Yeah. Come on, owner. I knew they were going to do it, though. Every single owner voted for it. Those poor people in Oakland, I feel terrible for them losing a baseball team. They don't deserve it. Hey, let's change things up. we got a comedian coming up next. Lavelle Crawford joins the show when we come back on KMOX.